Hello and greetings to you, wherever you are. I hope you're doing okay at this strange and difficult time and that you're finding solace and support in the Dharma to help you navigate through. There's so much available online at the moment, which is wonderful. I'm so grateful to Chandradasa, Sadayasihi and Kusala Devi for all the work they've put into making it possible to feel like I'm on retreat with you all this week. I've been loving it, as I was so sad when the Brahma Vihara's retreat at Taraloka that Maitri Siddhi and I were going to be doing this very week was cancelled, leaving me feeling somewhat bereft. Those retreats are so important to me, to have the opportunity to gather together and share our experience of the divine abodes is always a highlight of my year. It also reflects back to me so much of what has changed in my relationship to them during the year, which is really helpful. So a big shout of thanks and appreciation for the Dharma Toolkit and all it has brought to our homes. I'm at home, as you may have guessed, and as so many of us are at this time. I'm in my living room, which has lovely views of the hills all around me. I live in a little hamlet in mid-Wales. Just a few houses, really, but there's a strong community feel. As I look out of my window, I see how much greener everything is after a couple of days of light rain, which was much needed. I've been enjoying watching the pair of blackbirds who nest every year in the rhododendron bush just outside. They are busily filling their beaks with food rather than eating what they find, so this must mean their young have hatched. It's amazing how much they can cram in and how many times they go backwards and forwards feeding their newly hatched chicks. They seem completely devoted to their well-being and growth, and there's a strong sense of this all around at the moment. The fields full of ewes and their lambs, as well as young being raised in nests of all kinds everywhere. The ewes are so protective of their lambs. When I go down the drive with my dog Rufus, they will often come to the fence quite fiercely stamping their feet in their efforts to make sure he doesn't harm their lambs. There's no need, in fact, because there is the fence between us, and Rufus knows he's not to chase sheep and lambs anyway. But it's that love and care that's coming across from the natural world right now that feels so strong. It feels strong in the world generally, too, with all that's happening globally with this pandemic. Despite the tragedy, the horrors, the grief brought by COVID-19, there is so much love, so much care, and such a strong sense of connection being expressed right now. These sorts of situations always make us more aware of what we truly value, what is of real importance and what isn't. And I very much hope it brings positive change in how we live our lives going forward with that greater awareness. I've been in self-isolation now for all these weeks. It was interesting to note the difference between choosing to stay at home 
which I had been very happily doing since I got back from the Harp Sutra retreat at Taraloka in mid-February, and then getting the government directive to do so. Initially, I seemed to go into some sort of internal lockdown, but quickly realised this was my three-year-old's reaction to dramatic changes that happened in my life back then, resulting in my sister and I being apart from our mother and brother, as well as my father, for a long time. Fortunately, quickly, I understood what was happening and was able to respond and reassure her. But it has been interesting to notice at different times what is being triggered by these strange times and the need to look out and be prepared to meet these parts of myself that are being brought to the surface by what is happening with kindness and care. I found it really helpful to reflect on metta at this time and encourage you to do the same. What it means to me, how I understand it, and how it's helped and guided me in my life since my first meeting with it back in January 1974. Metta, the root Brahma-Vihara, with its extraordinary range that takes us from its open-hearted friendliness to everyone and everything it meets, right through to the great love of the Bodhisattva. I had a glimpse with beginner's mind back then that it was our heart's natural state. And although it's been a long and at times very difficult road, I know the truth of this from my own experience, as I'm sure you do too. That those times when we get ourselves out of our own way, Metta and the other Brahma Viharas are naturally there. I often share a quote from Alan Wallace because he puts it so beautifully when he says, There is good reason to believe, at least intuitively, if not on the basis of hard evidence, that the very nature of consciousness itself is a wellspring of loving kindness. It is said that the very quality of the Buddha nature is that of inexhaustible love, and it is already there. It was totally evident when Dharmotara, a dear friend in the order, was diagnosed with cancer and faced what time she had left with such open-hearted courage, that she was an embodiment of love. She talked about it as the medium in which I swim, which seemed so appropriate, thinking about fish swimming in the sea so totally at home in their environment. To them, it's just how it is, nothing unusual. But it's completely wonderful to be in the presence of it as it shines forth, and it was like that being in her presence. Yanavira is another person who is also in a life-threatening stage of illness. And he talks about all boundaries falling away, leaving only love. Not love in a personal sense, as it has nothing to do with me, he says. But the space itself was a space of love. I find this so beautiful and know deeply that what he speaks of is true. We all have those times when the boundaries fall away. And love is there. 
there's a wonderful Rumi saying where he says, your task is not to seek for love, but merely to seek and find all the barriers within yourself that you have built against it. Again, he's telling us it's already there, but that we have built all these so-called protective barriers that we think will prevent us from being hurt, which I understand so well from my own experience, but which in fact just separate us from our true nature and create divisions between ourselves and others as well as the world. Our practice of the metabhavana slowly but surely helps us to seek and find all those barriers within ourselves and to gradually open our hearts to what is already there. This has certainly been my experience. When I look back to who I was all those years ago, riddled with self-doubt and self-hatred, I see how I have changed. I am unrecognisable to myself as I was then. There is still much further to go, but how amazing is that, that we can transform ourselves in this way, little by little, bit by bit. My faith has grown over the years that the practice works. Even during those dry times, when it seems nothing was happening, with no connection, yet beneath the surface, just as when winter comes to an end and everything looks dead, and then you notice wee shoots coming through of the first snowdrops and realise it wasn't dead at all, but just going through a necessary renewal process. Banti says, the Metabhavna is fundamentally a practice of transformation, not annihilation. The aim is not so much to obliterate our negative emotions as to redirect them. There is energy in anger and other negative emotions. And if we are to attain the ultimate good, all our energies, positive and not so positive, have to be released in the direction of that goal. I find it so much more helpful to know that love is already there rather than to think I have to manifest it somehow. I love using the image of the sun for matter because it's something we're all familiar with. We know how it feels on our skin and how wonderful everything looks when lit by it. It really brings things to life, all so true of matter. We know what it looks like and mostly we have a very positive relationship with it. Personally, I find the experience of its warmth truly life-giving and nourishing, as I do with Meta. I remember a few years back when we had an experience of an eclipse, the only one I've seen in my lifetime, just how it felt when darkness fell and the sun's light was no longer present. It was only for a short time, but it was eerie, and I knew in that moment that nothing could live without the sun. I think this is true of love too, that nothing can live without the sun, without love. The image of the sun as meta, the love that is already there in the universe flowing through our hearts, 
when we manage to let go of all that obscures it, really works for me. I find it useful to relate to how I am at any given moment through that. Sometimes a clear and cloudless blue sky with the radiant sun shining. But mostly there are clouds. These are our clouds of conditioning, our habits, the places or poisons, all the stories we tell ourselves that we believe are real, but which actually just keep us caught in a contracted, barriered state, instead of being able to open ourselves to the nourishing warmth of the sun within and without, that frees us from the confines of the small, protected self, and opens us to the boundless, the limitless potential that is within us all. There was never a time that we needed meta more than now, and yet for many of us, it will elude us. This is because we are so caught up in fear and anxiety, because so much is being triggered in us by what we see and hear through the news and all around us. That response is natural when you think of our usual mode of wanting to protect ourselves and those we love but it can send us off into more and more unhelpful states and easily spiral out of control. So I encourage you, if you find this is happening, to just stop for a moment. Whatever it is you're doing, wherever you are, just stop. By this I mean find the time and space to be able to just be with yourself and sit quietly with all that you meet there. Be patient, take a few deep breaths and really come into your body. Feel your feet and their contact with the ground. Feel any areas of tension as well as areas of ease in the body. It's your home where you live and experience everything throughout your life. It's good to appreciate that and to dwell in it fully. By stopping in this way, you are turning towards your experience, showing a willingness to be present with whatever's going on, which is an act of metta in itself. And through this taking a metaphorical step back, which opens up your perspective and allows you to see what is happening more clearly. For me, I see this through the prism of the Brahma Viharas. They provide the inner map through which I can relate to my experience and which then highlights where I am, what I need to do. Many people have said to me over these weeks that they're finding it very difficult to meditate, that they can't concentrate. And it certainly can be challenging in times like these. One of the ways I'm practicing very strongly at the moment is through mantra chanting. It's happening in spite of myself is how it feels sometimes, because when I sit to meditate, it isn't necessarily what I intend, but there it is, and I'm grateful, surrendering happily to Avrokiteshvara's call, recognizing the power of mantra as a sound symbol used to evoke a particular aspect of reality which in this case so appropriately is compassion. 
I remember Banti saying once that when you recite the mantra, you set up vibrations. These vibrations then propagate themselves, and reality, as it were, starts responding, causing the Buddha or Bodhisattva to appear. The mantra is, of course, Om Mani Padme Hum, the mantra of Avalokiteshvara, the Bodhisattva of compassion. He who hears the cries of the world. His mantra brings soothing, healing balm to all the realms on the wheel of life. One of the wonderful things about Avalokiteshvara is his willingness to meet you wherever you are, to bring whatever you need, to relieve your suffering. So his mantra turns and turns and turns in my heart, sometimes out loud, sometimes silently within. I have great faith in its power and efficacy and see it floating out into the world symbolically through the prayer flag that flutters in the breeze in the garden. So if meditation is difficult, try mantra chanting. It can become totally absorbing and completely change your state of being as well as sending vibrations out into the universe which will help the suffering world. As I said earlier, I encourage you to reflect on metta, looking at what it is in your experience, what it means to you, and how it has changed you since you've been practising. I know, again from my own experience, that it is effective when people are sending you metta, I have strongly felt the letter coming my way on numerous occasions when I've needed it and known that people were thinking of me in that way. The experience was as though I had a duvet wrapped around around me, holding me with warmth and protection. So I firmly believe we can have an effect when we send metta out into the world and how important it is that we do that. Banti has said there's really only one Brahma Vahara, and that is metta. If we focus on it and really take care of metta, then we are taking care of all of them. As I said before, it's the root Brahma Vahara, with its strong sense of well-wishing and wanting us to be happy seeing our potential and wanting us to realise it. This is not just mundane happiness and well-being, although there's nothing wrong with that in itself, but Metta wants more. It wants us to free ourselves from the illusion of self and realise our true potential. Karana and Mudita are facets of Metta. They are the natural outflow of it when it meets suffering and joy. If metta is there, then the seeds of compassion and joyful resonance are always there, ready to respond as the worldly winds blow us about. Equanimity goes that step further as its wisdom eye opens and sees things as they really are. Recognising the transient nature of life with its ups and downs, thus bringing metta to its fullness, to fruition. 
And he says, of course, metta is not just a meditation exercise. It's a way of life. And how beautiful is that? This is true of all the Brahma-Viharas, of course, which is why I find them so beneficial as my internal map guiding me along the way. Although I fall short of my aspiration to manifest them throughout my days, the beauty and purity of that aspiration is such that it just inspires me to try harder, rather than berate myself for my failures. So, with Metta and all the Brahma-Viharas, we're trying to reorientate ourselves away from the habitual modes of behaviour and instead moving in the direction of heart-opening love, compassion, joy and equanimity, which enables us to face the suffering world in a way that allows us to hold it, even to embrace it, rather than closing down and becoming overwhelmed. Through these practices, we discover that whatever we're experiencing right now is held in a bigger container. A container that increases in its capacity to hold whatever is thrown at it, that potentially is boundless and unlimited in its capacity to hold the suffering world. Indeed, not just the suffering world, but all the love and joy as well. Thich puts it so beautifully in his poem, Please Call Me By My True Names, when he says, My joy is like spring, so warm it makes flowers bloom all over the earth. My pain is like a river of tears, so vast it fills the four oceans. Please call me by my true names, so I can hear all my cries and laughter at once, so I can see that my joy and pain are one. Please call me by my true names, so I can wake up and the door of my heart could be left open, the door of compassion.